I become kind of like the representation of the old world butchers. And like, that's my goal is to bring respect for those guys that taught me into the new world and show and get new butchers to respect who I came from. That was Dave Budworth, a.k.a. Dave the Butcher. I'm your host, Jeff Hunt. Welcome to Storied San Francisco, a weekly podcast where San Franciscans from all walks of life share their stories, and you get to know your neighbors. In this podcast, Dave picks up where he left off in part one, with his reflections on the butchery industry. He charts a few more moves, ending in Berlin. While in Europe, Dave traveled to Spain and Morocco before returning once again to San Francisco, where he soon got a job managing Marina Meats. After talking about his business during the pandemic, Dave writes a verbal love letter to the city. Here's Dave. You know, you still need people to break beef and do stuff like that. What the big chains like Smithfield, Tyson, all those kind of places, what they do is they hire illegal immigrants and then fire them all three months later so they don't have to pay taxes and hire, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's... Exhale. Yeah, no, no it's, it's so fucked up because then they don't have to pay any kind of like, you know, health care or workman's comp or whatever, you know? Disability. And then the government comes through every now and then and they're like, oh, whoops, we didn't know he was undocumented. Here, get rid of him. And right. Uh, they're all in collusion between... Yeah. Uh, so I've always, I've always only worked for small neighborhood shops. I've never worked in a Safeway. Um, I did some part-time shit in a Whole Foods just to check it out. And I was like, yeah, fuck that. Mm. It's, it's just, Whole Foods is like, you know, Safeway with a hippie face. Mm. It's, it's, they're just as corrupt, you know. Right. They're a little bit better. Their products are better quality to a point. But, you know, it's like they're supposed to be super upstanding. But I remember when I was there, they were selling fish that I wouldn't sell. It's right. like stuff that's not illegal to sell. But as having a conscience, you don't sell sailfish or marlin. Right. They're just endangered. You know, right. it's like playing sea bass. You know, that, that fish almost went extinct because the restaurants changed the name from Patagonian toothfish to Chilean sea bass. So it sounds better. Mm-hmm. And then it got pirated and it almost got completely wiped off the face of the earth. And I still get people asking me to, if I can get it. I'm like, I can get it, but this is why I don't sell it. I'm going to lay a guilt trip on you and, be, and then I'll get it for you. Hmm. Where in your uh, career did you sort of, I don't want to say develop, but like, when did that, um, that ethos kind of come, come about? You know, I've always kind of had that in as being a butcher, um, you know, cause I, when I was working at the real food market, that was kind of 91. That was the beginning of kind of like free range, all natural organic. That was kind of the beginning of that. Mm -hmm. I've always been kind of a hippie head. You know, got it. Um, you know, even when I was younger and stuff. So that all kind of worked for me. When I went to Oakland and worked, we weren't really doing any of that kind of stuff. But I was learning, and I didn't really understand how shitty the commodity meat industry is. Um, you know, so for me, from what ninety one to two thousand three, I was just trying to be a butcher and learn and all that. I didn't really consider. Um, the ethos of it or the, you know, I did to a point, but not, I always kind of believe like all these old butchers, like, Oh, this is the best meat we can get, Mm. you know? Um, So then when I went to work in Santa Cruz, you know, we were doing whole carcass stuff, which to me kind of fit with that where it's like, Oh, we're using the whole animal, not just ribeyes and not just middle meat. Right. Right. You know, so I did that. I did Santa, I worked in Santa Cruz and like, you know, 
got my chops and all that. Um, but nice then I pun. Just, I, nice meat pun there. Yeah, right? I didn't even try. And uh, yeah, so then I, I was traveling to Europe every year a lot. And I had some really good friends in Berlin. And like every time I'd go to Europe, I never wanted to come back to America except for like my own bed and my own shower. Right. And um, so finally, I was like, I told my ex-wife, I was like, let's just fucking move to Berlin. And our friends were like, you should move here. And I was like, 100%, let's go. Like, I don't give a fuck. Um, so uh, 2003, I'm, I drove across the country, moved to Berlin, and was in Berlin for about three years. You know, I learned, I learned German basically on the street from the girls I worked with, from the milkman, from the grocery store. Um, it's kind of how I learn. Like, I'm not good at school. That's you know? the best it's way like, to learn languages. Yeah. And like, for me, like, I don't even know what a preposition is in English anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and it's like, it's funny. Cause like, I'm very much, I'm very, I'm very good at like imitating or being a chameleon sort of, that's kind of my go-to. Mm -hmm. And um, we were living in Berlin and we were at a party and my, my ex-wife is like super into school. Like she loves to go to school and learn shit. Right. So like we're hanging out with this dude and we're talking German. And at one point I just kind of lost the track. Like a lot of times when I was, before I, my German was good, I knew what we were talking about. And I, I, don't, I maybe know these words and I maybe know these words, but I don't know what you're saying in between, but I can read your body and like, I can fake it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, at one point I, you know, I'd lost the track. So I said to the guy, I was like, Hey man, you know, like all in German, I was like, Hey, sorry. You know, my German's not that great. I, I what, what were you, I missed what you said. And he looks at me and he goes, he goes, you know, her German's better than yours, but I thought you were German. Like, yes. <laughs> it's like my grammar's not great but i i i speak tons of slang you know and it's right like, you know, slang right and like my, my ex-wife's german is like let us go to the store now and like my german's like yo what the fuck what are you doing you know like, <laughs> right right you know so you know that was cool then her and i split when we were living in germany and uh she moved to india for a while and then i came back to the states i didn't really want to but i was kind of like shit okay i'm getting divorced what do i do da, 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 da. i got this dog so i moved back here went back to work at the butcher shop in oakland for all of 2006 and hated it like i promised mm. myself i'd never work in that shop again just because it's such a brutal environment right um, as much as i love my old boss and everything mm -hmm. he's a fucking asshole at times like he's <laughs> right. just like you know he's just that old school dude and um so i worked there for the whole 2006 and towards the end of 2006 i was like I'm going back to Berlin and I'm going to get my old life back. Fuck this. And so I went back to Berlin, got my job back at my friend's coffee shop, lived with, lived with my other friend. Um, she just let me stay at her house for free for three months. Went back and, and um, went down. Uh, I landed with like a hundred bucks in my pocket and got my job back at the coffee shop. Didn't have to pay rent, borrowed a bike from a friend and just saved all my money. It was just getting paid cash. And so I saved a ton of money, bought a plane ticket, went to Bar uh, went down to Southern Spain by myself. And uh, did you say Barcelona? Uh, no, not Barcelona. I meant to say uh, Malaga. I flew into okay. Malaga. Okay. I've been to Barcelona. It's amazing. Um, but I went to Malaga and then I hitchhiked from Malaga to, Ter uh, to Tarifa. So just along the Southern coast. And then I was sitting on the beach in Tarifa where the Atlantic and the Med come together mm -hmm. and just being very like poetic and like, like, this is crazy that I'm sitting here, right? This is like the hillers of, uh, you know, the pillars of Hercules and like the Iliad and like all this history right here. And I was looking across the channel and I'm like, that's Africa. That's Morocco. Like, and I was like, I got to go. Like, I have to. I was super scared. But I was like, fuck it. Got on a ferry the next day and went to Tangiers for two days by myself and was just like mind blown. Like, I've never been. It was like being in the bar scene from Star Wars. It was just right. like. <laughs> 
Like, where the fuck am I? Yeah. And then came back, came back, spent another week in Spain, went back to Berlin. And then I was like, okay, like, I'm too old to just like work in a cop shop for eight bucks an hour or whatever. Like I'm 40 mm-hmm. something years old. I need to figure something out. So then I uh, came back to San Francisco or I came back to the Bay area and I ended up in Santa Cruz for like six months. Um, I ran a little wine meat shop down in SoCal. It was super chill. And I was just mm-hmm. kind of getting paid cash and, house sitting for a friend of mine who was at sea and like the fuck am I going to do with my life kind of thing. And then finally I was just like, you know, fuck it. I'm moving to San Francisco. And, uh, so I moved up here, got a room in the Excelsior and, um, I was like, I'm going to become a butcher again. That's how I can make the most money. And I'm going to save, I'm going to live like underneath somebody's stairs as dirt. I'm going to road dog it, save as much money as I can. And in a year I'm moving back to Europe and I'm going to like open my own taqueria or something. Like, you know, it's like, I love to cook. Right. And there's like, right. no Mexican food in Europe. And so I was like, right, whatever, I'm just going to open a small business. So at least I'm like, I have my own business. I'm not just, you know, 50 year old guy working at McDonald's. Right. And, uh, but then, uh, it was, that was 2007. So I, I walked by Marina meats. They weren't open. So I talked to them. They hired me to be the manager when they opened. So they, so they weren't, they were just building out. Okay. And, uh, I was in, the, I was staying at a hotel in the Marina and I was walking to get coffee and, um, I walked by this corner and it says like Marina meets. And I'm like, this place wasn't here. What the fuck is this? It used to be a flower store. And, um, so I knock on the door and the dude comes out and I'm like, Hey, what's up? You guys hiring? When are you going to, when are you going to open? And he was like, he was like, well, you got a resume, blah, blah. So then they were like, at first he was like, yeah, we're not a union shop. I can only pay you like nine bucks an hour. And I'm like, yeah, peace mm-hmm. out. I haven't made nine bucks an hour since 1820. <laughs> You know, but then he called me back later and um, he checked my references and he's like, oh, uh, yeah, I can, like, I want to hire you right now. I need a manager and like, cool. So I started managing that place and then I was like, cool, I'm just going to save as much money as I can um, in that. And then in like around 2009, I ended up moving to North Beach, which has like always been my favorite neighborhood. Um, in the yeah, like in the 90s, I in, in the from like 89 to 91, 93. I was all lower hate, upper hate. Like I lived in the, I lived on Masonic and hate next to the fucking deadhead store. <laughs> um, but so I spent tons of time in the hate and all that. But North Beach was always like Gino and Carlos always since, since I was like 18 and sneaking into Gino and Carlo to play pool. Right. You know, and North Beach has always been my jam. And so I finally ended up moving to North Beach. Um, so I was living in North Beach. I was working in the Marina. Um, and then I heard about, uh, I quit Folletti's cause it was like too cool, like too, too many hands in the pot. Like I'm just, I don't, I don't like more than one boss because I get lippy. Okay. Like, you know what I just like, if they're like, you need to wear a tie and this guy's like, not, I'm like, you know, fuck you. I don't wear Yeah. It's yeah. So I worked there for like two months and I was okay. like, yeah, too many. And like none of the guys that worked in the meat department could give a shit. Like, mm. and that's kind of what it's like. I would get mad all the time because I'm like, you're ripping that customer off or that's like, you, you don't know how to tie that rose. It looks like shit. Ah, right. And I don't want to be, I don't want to say like, Oh, I work at that butcher shop and have people be like, that place sucks. You know, it's like, I've always been really aware of like my reputation and like where I work. Cause I give a shit about what I do. Right. And, um, quit Filetti's. But then I heard, I heard about these three women opening a butcher shop in, in Bernal Heights. And I was like, what's up with that? So I went out there and they didn't even have a butcher. They had no idea what they were doing. So I was like, hey, you know, I'll come work for you part-time. So I started working at Avedano's part-time. I taught them all how to merchandise. Like they didn't really know how to set a case and merchandise. Like 
they didn't really know like the difference between like top sirloin steak or all just different cuts you can market and whatever. So I worked there for like, I worked there part-time for like five years while I was still at the Marina. And then, uh, in that time as well, fatted calf opened. Um, so I helped Taylor with that. I was doing his pork happy hour every Wednesday night. Okay. And in the middle of that, um, came this event called, uh, Koshan five, 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 which is like a, it's like a yearly, it's like a, it, they do like eight or nine cities a year. It travels across the country and everybody, every chef that wins each event gets, you know, whoever wins every event then they compete against and become king of pork at the end of the year or whatever. Okay. <laughs> but it was like this thing where it's like five pigs, five winemakers, five chefs, but they always had a butcher doing a, a pig demo. Mm -hmm. And I got in on the very beginning of it. So I was, I was always doing the demos. So, you know, like breaking out a pig in front of like 500 people and drinking booze and like, Whoa. So I ended That's up getting all the press and like getting kind of like, you know, I got rid up, written up in like men's health, New York times, like all this stuff mm -hmm. for being this butcher. Right. Um, Cause all of a sudden it was like rockstar butchers. And most of the guys they were calling rockstar butchers were chefs. Right. And I was like, nah, two different like, things. Well, yeah. And I'm like, I'm a damn fine cook, but I'll never say I'm a chef. Right. Don't be calling yourself a butcher. Right. You know, it's like, that's all I have. Mm -hmm. like don't take that from me so of course i got bitchy about it was like i'm doing that event that event that event and then i kind of took the idea of koshan 555 and i like started doing my own events at la trap in north beach because I, I i ended up living upstairs with the owner so it was like we would do like a like a five course meal and everything had pig in it right so from the appetizer to the dessert had pork in it wow. and then while you're eating then i would be breaking down like a whole pig in front of you and talking and so I could be like, oh, what you're eating right now is this, it's the pork shoulder, blah, 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 blah. You know, or I would, I would cut a bunch of raw pork and send it around the room. And people would be like, you can't eat pork raw. And I'm like, you can this pig because it's from a small farm. So it was all about kind of like edutainment, not to rip off KRS-One, but yeah, uh, it was very much education and entertainment at the same time. Demo dinner. Exactly. Right. And I so those kind of took off for a while. So I was doing this, I was doing a bunch of those on the side. I even had this thing where it was like, um, we had a thing called like, uh, like a chef and a butcher we were doing big events and like totally took track but we just couldn't make any money at it and it just started to take up too much time um so we kind of stopped i kind of stopped doing that i still do it every now and then that kind of died but all of a sudden like butchering blew up and i became this like dave the butcher you know sort of thing were you um, still working at marina meats this whole time yeah, or? Okay. yeah i've been i've been running marina meats for 13 years now Oh, got it. Okay. And then, like, I got, I, once I got the owner kicked out, then it was like, it's just my show. So it's. And when was that? I, oh, he, uh, 2012, we got rid of him. So he, he worked in his own shop for five years. And then <laughs> I got him kicked the fuck out. Um, I kind of made this name for myself. And then also, thanks to Facebook, right? Like, God, you know, the evil that it is, but God love Facebook. I made a, I made a Dave the Butcher Facebook page. And all of a sudden, like, now, like I'm connecting with butchers in Chicago, New York, uh, Amsterdam, uh, Holland, Denmark, uh, China, Uzbekistan. All those places and, and you want to live and travel to, basically. Which is awesome. Um, yeah. But before all this, like butchers, we didn't talk to each other. Right. You know what I mean? Like I would never like hang out with butchers. Like right. before, before 2000, you know, before 2003, I would always be the only butcher at any backyard barbecue. Mm -hmm. Like I never hung out with butchers unless it was like somebody I worked with maybe. Mm -hmm. But after, after like 2008, you know, 
all of a sudden there's this huge network, right? So now I was able to like consult with guys in Chicago and become friends and like, there's this whole worldwide network. So like, you know, if you go on, if you go on Google now and type in butcher, chances are like my name's going to pop up in the top three. And I really kind of like, before I met my now wife, I had like kind of seven years in between. And like, I wasn't into, like, I've never been, you know, I grew up in the seventies. Like, like we don't date, you go to a party, you get high, you wake up with some chick and then maybe she's your girlfriend after that. You know, it's like, I don't want to date. Dates are so awkward. You know, it's yep. like, so like, oh, I'm on a date. Are we gonna are we gonna have sex? Is that where? How does this work? What do I say? I don't know. Like, I just want to. I'd rather just sit around, sit alone, and get drunk. You know, like, <laughs> like I don't know how many times I'd be on a date with some chick and just like pull my phone out and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I gotta go to work early tomorrow. <laughs> like, uh, no, sorry, and then I just go to the next bar. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, yeah, dating was never my thing. So I was like fully into like the whole butchering thing, you know, and just like building this name for myself because I was like okay and for me it's always been about educating the public and like teaching people that you know like a filet mignon sucks like why would you even want to buy that like I don't know a butcher to eat a filet mignon right but you're gonna spend fifty dollars a pound for this tasteless mushy piece of meat right? yeah, it sounds fancy with that French name. well people are trained it's like diamonds like diamonds didn't mean shit until they until somebody held them all back mm -hmm. um, but, you know, so, like, my thing's always been about educating the public. Like, like you know, there, there's nothing different eating, like, pork cheeks than there is a filet mignon. It's still a fucking dead animal. Right. Like, no part of the animal is gross. Right. I hate when people say that. Like, I could never eat tongue. It's gross. I'm like, how is that grosser than a filet mignon? A filet mignon, the purpose of that muscle is to push shit out of the animal. <laughs> right? And you're spending 50 bucks a pound on it. I'd rather have some lingua tacos. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. You know, so that's always been, so I got really into the whole education side of it. And, um, and also like, like I said, for me as a butcher, I'm kind of the last and the loudest of my generation of butchers. Hmm. When I got into it, when I got into butchering in the early nineties, nobody was like, like, yo, I'm a butcher. Yeah. It wasn't cool. You know? And like, we never talked about it. Right. It wasn't like a thing. And now it's like, I learned from all these old guys. So now I have all these younger people who have now become butchers, especially after like the, the, the economic downturn in like 2008, nine. Right. Hell of people like, you know, corporate people were like, I'm going to become a butcher. <laughs> like, okay, come work for me for five minutes and then we'll see how much you cry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but now it's, I've become kind of like, the representation of the old world butchers. And like, that's my goal is to bring respect for those guys that taught me into the new world and show and get new butchers to respect who I came from. And, you know, it's like kind of like carrying on the legacy of the old guys that taught me, like, I don't want them to be forgotten. Right. And, uh, you know, because they fucking work their ass off in obscurity. And here I am like doing TV shows and shit and like, right. they need to be respected. And that's my thing. But, you know, it's like when I met my, um, you know, I was living in North Beach and I was kind of like, okay, I'm, I, you know, I'm always a five-year guy. It's like, oh, I've been back in San Francisco five years, time to move somewhere else. And um, I was, uh, I had a job offer in Chicago, I had a job offer in New York, and I had a job offer in Belgium. And I was like, obviously the Belgian one's going to hold precedent, but I'm going to go check out the other two. Okay. And I was literally looking at plane tickets and I met my now wife. And it was just like, like, I never believed, like, I was never in love with my ex-wife, my first wife. Like, I was never in love. It was like, 
we met when we were, you know, she was 22 and I was 24. And like, I was an insecure little punk kid that had no, I was like, Oh, that's the best I'll ever do. Cool. I'll take it. <laughs> you know? And, um, and not like I didn't love her or not that we didn't have some good times, you know, whatever. But you know, I had mom issues. She had dad issues. We were just, we should like, we're just too young to get together. Like yeah. we didn't, neither of us found each ourselves before we got together. Then it became this relationship. Um, and I was super happy, you know, living in North beach. I was like totally happy being single. And like, I didn't date anybody I was Like, cool. I'm David butcher. And I hang out in Gino Carlos. What do you need? You know? <laughs> and, uh, like, I don't need anything else. I was on, I was like John waters. I'm like, if I'm 90 and I'm single, I still got me, you know, like I'm not alone. Right. And, uh, and then I, I met my now wife, who's a bartender in North Beach, and like been a bartender in North Beach for 30 years. And um, yeah, it was weird. We just we just clicked. Like, like awesome. I've never even, you know, it's like that that weird shit that I never believed in. I'm like, oh, okay, that's true. That's you know, what you're talking about. Yeah. How'd that happen? Like, we literally, we I moved into her place six months after we started dating. Wow. You know? That says and, a lot. But I was also like, you know, you got a second floor uh, flat in Russian Hill with a view of the Golden Gate Bridge, the washer and dryer, and it's rent controlled and you're hot. Yeah. And she, before that, she was at Deluva, which is now Belcora, um, across from Gino and Carlo. Oh, got it. Okay. Used to be a wine bar. That's where I met her. What we haven't talked about, if, if you don't mind, um, is running a business, running, in your case, running a, a butchery, a meat shop during uh, COVID shelter in place. What's that? been like brutal uh seriously brutal uh so we were we went to hawaii in the first part of march uh oh so my wife's birthday is saint patty's day mm-hmm. you know grew up in boston born on saint oh. patty's day okay russian immigrant bartender how i survived the alcoholism of the first two years i don't know um no i uh, well, I, I no i don't joke that's true <laughs> um, so uh, we were in Hawaii, right? And so when we left to go to Hawaii, the beginning of March, people were like, oh, you're going to fly? And we were like, yeah, fuck, whatever. It's like the flu. Who cares? You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Hung out in Hawaii. And then uh, we came back on like a Wednesday. So like came back on like the 19th of March. And then I had a couple days off at home before I went back to work. And I went back to work that Saturday. And so wait, you know, were you were you in Hawaii? You must have been in Hawaii when they announced shelter in place in San Francisco then. Just before, like right before. Yeah. And we came back from Hawaii thinking like, you know, it's it's getting weird. And like nobody in Hawaii had any idea. Like we, we were hanging out at, at this bar with a bunch of tourists and everybody's like, really? What's it like in San Francisco? And we're like, people are freaking out because we were reading the news in Hawaii about here, right? Right, so we're like, right. We were kind of like, maybe we won't, maybe they We'll shut the airport down. You know, right, like, maybe we get to stay. Yeah, not the worst stuck, place. Stuck in Hawaii. Uh, okay, not um, the worst place. So we, yeah. So we landed, and that's when we we got back. Right when everything went sideways, mm-hmm. and uh, we came back, and um, I went to work two days after I got back, and that was a Saturday. And usually, it's like we used to open at like nine in the morning on a Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. And like nine to seven was our hours, and usually I'd have like. You know, most of the meat case cut and set before we open. Usually there's like, maybe I still got the lamb to do or whatever. But the first couple hours, it's only a few customers trickling in. It's just me and one other guy for, until right. from, like, from like 9 to 11, right? Okay. We fucking opened the doors and it was insane. Just lying out the door, 
people in the store, like 20 people in, like my store's small, like 20 people in there. And it's just me and this other dude. And we're just humping customers trying to wait on people. And then, you know, like I have half the case in like, and by the time within an hour, like everybody had bought everything I'd cut. So I had nothing to sell, you know, anytime somebody would be like, Oh, I need a chuck roast. I'm like, well, I gotta go cut that now. And like, we were so behind the eight ball. So that day I decided, I'm like, no, we're changing our hours from 12 to six from now on until, you know, cause I, we need the time. And then I'd say for the first two months, literally two months, it was a line out my door. We've had, there's been times on the weekends, we've had a line from my front door at Chestnut and Visadero all the way to Lombard Street. Like an entire wow. block of people wow. waiting in line to get into my butcher shop. And so we started only letting three people in at a time, you know, because of the whole quarantine thing and all that. So everybody's got to have a mask, can't come in without a mask. We can only have three people in the store at a time, which really helped us out because the store wasn't like packed full of people. So it's, right. it's more calming for us. Yeah. Um, but literally like my, uh, my knuckle right here up until this week was swollen. I, I've had to change how I cut stuff because just the repetition of cutting so much meat over the last two months has like fucked my hand up. Wow. So business has so gone, up. has gone up. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, okay quadruple up until about three or four about three weeks ago we were, we were doing consistently 25 to thirty thousand dollars in sales a day wednesday monday saturday doesn't matter so what that tells me at least in san francisco is that when you strip everything down when there's a global pandemic we like to drink and eat meat i'm okay yeah. with that reality uh, i'm okay well and the thing is you know you got so like all these big processing plants like Smithfield Tyson, all those things. And you, everybody was like, you know, they're closing down because of COVID, right? Like, right. you know, but what people don't understand is like, I only buy only thing, all we sell in my shop is small farm, local stuff, like super small, like, su like I know all my farmers, like I know I don't sell any factory shit mm -hmm. and we only deal with small processing houses. So mm -hmm. we're fine. I got no, I got no problem getting product. No supply line issues. Right, our supply line is so small, um, but like you know, I'm on a I'm on a bunch of like Facebook pages for butchers around the country and stuff, and it's mostly all like Kroger, Win Dixie guys, like you know, total, yeah, those guys, the guys that are just in a back room fucking making dick jokes all day. But they're only a lot of those big chain markets. They're only getting frozen meat right now, whereas I'm right. getting like fresh carcass. Like, no, like there's nothing I haven't been able to get. And people keep coming in and they're like, oh my God, are you going to run out of meat? I'm like, no, because I don't sell the factory shit. <clears throat> right? Awesome. Like we don't, I don't deal in that big chain of processing. Right. Like we're super small. And like, yes, it could happen. Like we've needed more slaughterhouses in California for a long time, but, and everybody agrees, but nobody wants it in their backyard. Right. You know, everybody wants to eat local meat and all that, but they don't want to, you know, they want to truck the poor fucking animals like 500 miles, which, which, people don't understand like when animals get stressed out and you slaughter them when they're stressed out, it fucks up the meat. Totally. And like animals should have like animals should have an amazing life living on pasture, playing, eating roots and whatever. And like one bad day they don't know about this season. Uh, we're in our third season and we like to kind of have a theme each season. And this season, our, our theme is love letters to the city. So no pressure, but can you, just give us your response to that prompt. Like, what do you love about San Francisco? So to me, San Francisco is, is my heart. Like, 
it's always been the city to me, right? Fuck that Carl the Fog shit. It's the fog. Just shut up. Um, what I can't stand these days is everybody bemoaning the death of San Francisco, right? And what I find is that most of the time it's people that aren't from here. It's like, I moved here from Boston five years ago and it's not the same city. I'm like, I was born here 55 years ago. It's not the same city, but it is. And what I love about San Francisco, it is still fucking San Francisco. I've seen this city grow and change and breathe and flow and expand and contract. To me, it's still, it's still the same city. It's gonna change. You know, I can sit here and bemoan the hippo's gone. Like I can't go get a burger at the hippo, but that's been gone since the 70s, right? Like, you know, it's like shit changed. And, and yes, I agree with like, there's a lot of small businesses getting shut down because I, I agree the, with the rent thing. It's really fucking crazy right now. And, and, and I remember like when I moved here in 89, I was paying a buck 50 a month for a room in a flat in Hayes Valley, which was kind of the ghetto. But my living room window had a view of, of the, the boob church and, and all that. And, and, you know, I could go on my roof and see the whole city. Like it was still grandiose. Um, even though it was ghetto. And yeah, I, I like, oh, you know, I wish it was still $150 a month rent. Like it's not, and it's not ever going to be again. Shit changes. I just love this city. I love the history of it. Like, you know, it's just, her heart and soul is still the same. That was Dave Budworth. Join us next week when we'll hear from mission-born poet Josiah Luis Adrete. Music for Story San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 120 episodes over the last three years. And you can find them all over at our website, storiedsf.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as just about everywhere you can listen to podcasts. Please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. And if you have any feedback for us, or you just want to say hi, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay healthy.